welcome to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, it's me, Maggie. I am sitting down with Iris Yamashita to talk about her book, City Under One Roof. I am so excited to delve into this thriller. I read it in just about one sitting. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Iris, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Maggie, for having me on the show. I'm so excited. I am so excited too. Iris, would you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself as an author and then just a brief synopsis of the book without too many spoilers? Okay. Uh, Well, I am an engineer turned screenwriter turned author. So I started out, I actually majored in um, engineering and I got a master's in mechanical engineering But my passion, my hobby was always writing. And I got my big break in screenwriting um, when I was able to write a screenplay for Clint Eastwood. Um, The movie was called Letters from Iwo Jima. And um, it got nominated uh, for various Academy Awards. So I was very lucky. It was like lightning striking. And then I turned to writing a book. This is my debut book. And again, it feels like lightning has struck once again. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Before we, I am so curious and I really want to ask loads of questions about you as an author and about the book, but would you mind before we do that, just giving us a little bit of a summary of City Under One Roof? Yes. So um, City Under One Roof is about a female detective. Her name is Kara Kennedy, and she's trying to solve a gruesome murder in a tiny Alaskan town. Uh, where a hand and a foot have washed up onto the shore uh, of the cove of the city. And it's a uh, very isolated town. The most interesting thing about it is that everybody lives in a single high-rise building. Um, It's inspired by a real location um, in Alaska where winds can reach 150 miles per hour and temperatures can dip down to minus 35 And of course, she becomes trapped in this city when the only way in, which is a single lane tunnel, um, closes due to an avalanche and it becomes a lock city mystery. That is amazing. So I want to know, I know we're going to delve into it a little bit more uh, in this episode, but what inspired you to, to write this? Did something come to mind first as the idea? Or have you been to a location like this that made you think this would be a good spot for a mystery? Yeah, it's actually, um, so it's inspired by a real city in Alaska called Whittier, Alaska. And I had seen a documentary over 20 years ago when at the time the only way in was by uh, train through this tunnel. Um, They have since opened it up to car traffic. But uh, it was built as a military base. And um, so there were two high-rise buildings and where... um, the military personnel lived, but after an earthquake um, destroyed the place, then it shut down, the base shut down. And so one of the buildings sits empty and it's just a a hollow space. And then the other building, it was turned into resident resident condo where um, the people who now live there reside. Yeah. And that was the, um, so that was the initial, I mean, I had seen this documentary over 20 years ago, so it just stayed in the back of my mind 
as, wow, that's such a cool setting. But I didn't have a story and it took (laughs) over 20 years before I thought of a a story, a mystery that I thought, oh, you know, that place, that would be a great place for a mystery. Um, Absolutely. There's nothing like total isolation (laughs) to make you really get involved and really fear for, for the characters' lives. While I was reading it, I thought it was so interesting because we go through three different characters' points of view. Um, we have the detective, Kara, and then Amy and Lonnie. And I felt like they were all dealing with sort of the loneliness and the claustrophobia that comes from being in the building. Although Kara coming from elsewhere in Alaska and coming there separately, but I felt like they were all sort of dealing with that on top of what was going on with with the mystery, with the thriller. And I wanted to know what sort of role did you find that the setting played when you were creating this this thriller? Oh, definitely. The setting was, the setting is almost like its own character, just Mm -hmm. because of the uniqueness of it and having a lot of tunnels that go to it and under it and through it. Um, So it's, um, the setting is very key. And uh, the way I had thought of the, um, the characters, um, as you mentioned, there's three points of view. Um, When I was visiting the city, and you go through that tunnel that I mentioned, that single lane tunnel, I felt like it was falling into a rabbit hole. And um, where you would end up would be this wonderland that was full of Mm -hmm. these odd and quirky characters. And, you know, it just kind of made sense to me because it's so isolated and you wonder, like, what kind of people would live here? Yeah. And, you know, what kind of, you know, maybe they they were running away from something or someone and um, they might have secrets that they have. And so that played into it definitely because of the, the isolation of the city and that tunnel again, uh, because it was like this wonderland rabbit hole. I thought of Kara as like the Alice dropping Mm -hmm. into wonderland. And I have a second voice, Amy Lynn, who is a teenager who lives there and her mother runs the local Chinese restaurant. And I thought of her as kind of the white rabbit that Kara sometimes chases for clues. And then we have the third voice, which is Lonnie Mercer, and she has a mental disability. So she work, she um, talks in word salads, and she has a pet moose, and she wears like a different colored beret every day. So she's sort of the Mad Hatter character of the story. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I have to ask, is Alice in Wonderland one of your favorite stories? I think I read an interview where you had mentioned that there are quite a few Alice in Wonderland Easter eggs, which had sort of got me thinking about that as well. And um, what sort of made you choose that book? It was really going through the tunnel. And again, thinking this is going to be like dropping into Wonderland. And that was just that was the initial thought. And then as I thought about that, I'm like, hmm, how can I add more Wonderland references (laughs) in there. So it's, it's chock full of um, little Easter eggs of um, Alice in Wonderland and Lewis Carroll. So yeah, if you, if you're a geek like me and you love that kind of stuff, then, then look for those. Absolutely. They were, they were so much fun. I, I went through my head and I was like, okay, what can I figure out? I definitely knew Amy was 
the white rabbit just because she kept showing up at the scene of the crime over and over again. I was like, Amy, you're getting yourself into trouble. Um, Yeah, they were super fun. I was wondering, because this is your debut novel, um, what sort of brought you into the world of crime and thrillers? Have you written anything like this before and how much research did you have to do? And what, what did you find were like the biggest roadblocks when when really creating a mystery? Yeah, um, this is the first time I've ever tried to write a mystery. And um, it's it's a new genre for me, actually. I, I never thought I would be writing a mystery. Um, but now that I've, you know, I've, I've gotten into this world, I, I love it. I think mm-hmm. it's great. Um, I did not. I, you know, I didn't know much about police procedurals or anything like that. Um, but I grew up uh, watching Twin Peaks and I loved okay. that show so much. And um, I think also Jane Campion's Top of the Lake, which was also a mystery, uh, made me really fascinated with the mystery genre. Like, oh, I, you know, that's so cool. I really want to try something like that. So, yeah, it was it was a bit difficult. Um, it did take a lot of research because, again, as I said, I didn't really know a lot about um, police or crime drama. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, at the heart, the, there's many of the same elements of having um, interesting characters and having um, an arc for the characters and um, you know, that, that are actually maybe more important than the whodunit aspect of it at the end of the day. And um, I was teaching screenwriting and I always, I always tell my students that's good to start with a question. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, you know, Mysteries are perfect for that to to start with a question, and I and I've also always said, oh, it's always exciting to start with a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I was meant to write mysteries because I had always told my students to start with a question and a dead body. So that was perfect. I think it was always meant to be. It was written in the stars for you. <laughs> I know that we talked about a little bit about Kara, Amy, and Lonnie. Who was your favorite character to write? And is this a character that you found you related to the most? And at what point did you know you were going to make this story a multiple protagonist story? Um, well, the for me, it was the most fun, but also the most difficult to write Lonnie mm-hmm. because she does have a very unique way of thinking, um, you know, and she does have a mental disability. So she's very far from myself, I would say. Um, But um, it was, and she was very difficult to write, as I said, because I could only write short chapters of her. But because she was also the most unique, I also thought she was the most fun. I I did enjoy reading books um, with multiple voices mm-hmm. and um, also listening to audiobooks with multiple voices. So I think um, pretty early on, I I made the decision to write uh, from multiple character viewpoints. I it, It's one of the things that really stuck out to me as I began reading is, is just how clear every single voice was. And they each had their own way especially of thinking, not even just of sharing what they're seeing, but they the way that they were piecing together 
the mystery for themselves and thinking about who it affects around them was very, very unique. And I thought it was incredibly strong. And I loved that even though you have this sort of external plot happening, right, with the thriller and with the mystery, they each had their own internal battle to go through as well. That I, I just think was is made it such a fun read and and emotional too for every single character. It was really, really well done. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was actually something um, I learned in screenwriting. One of my instructors, I remember her telling me that a good test of character is if you take a line of their dialogue from anywhere in the script and you know just from the dialogue um, which character is speaking. And so that's something that always um, stuck with me that, you know, I I should be able to tell, they should have unique voices and I should be able to tell who's talking. So when I was writing this, um, I did a pass where I only wrote one character and I just wanted to make sure that their voice was consistent and that yeah. their voice was unique and that it was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, this is just for out of my personal curiosity, um, when you were writing the book, did you write it all, like all of the Amy chapters at once or did you write it more in timeline order in the order in which it, you we read it? Well, I always start with... Um, a, like I call it a vomit draft, whether it's mm -hmm. screenwriting or with the novel, where um, I just go through a pass where I just and it's linear, and um, it's just mostly train of thought, and it's nothing is precious. I know everything's going to change, and I wasn't as concerned about uh, the voices. Like I did, I mean, I I did try to make the separate voices and I went through it. Um, but I de then go back and then I, um, I did do a pass where it was character by character. So, mm -hmm. so initially it was just kind of like a blood, you know, just throw everything out there <laughs> and then you go back. <laughs> That's why it's the vomit draft, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Anything goes, it can be really bad. You know, you know, everything's going to change, but you don't care. You know, it's just sort of like, just get to the end and see where it's going. <laughs> yeah. Cause sometimes this, you know, I'm sure writers tell you that the, the characters start to speak to you or, you know, mm -hmm. things go take a direction that you didn't expect um, and just let that happen. Yeah, but yeah, but there is a pass where I do, I did do character by character. Amazing. Amazing. I could go on and on about how much I enjoyed it, but um, actually this segues perfectly. Do you have a favorite line or section of the book that you would like to share so we can get a little piece of that? Sure. Um, as I said, uh, I, I really enjoyed writing Lonnie, even though it was difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I like to read from her chapter, even though she's not chapter one. Um, so this is, um, I'll just do this section from uh, Lonnie chapter, which is chapter three. Chapter three, Lonnie. People were always talking about her behind her back. Lonnie knew it like the lady in room 706. Lonnie imagined the words in her head, bitch, whore, witch, hussy, dumbo, crazy, loony, stupid. The lady was talking about her behind her back because Lonnie came from the Institute. Lonnie didn't like the Institute. There were lots of scary people there watching her. They were always watching her, giving her pills, pills she didn't need. And there were cameras and bells 
Bells then went off at night, and people running down the halls, scurrying like dogs, chasing cats, making lots of racket. Lonnie hated the noise. Clatter, clang, uproar, yelling, racket, discord, wailing, screaming, crying, bang, thud, quiet. It was a good thing she left. She knew she didn't belong there. She had to go. She had to go get Denny. Denny was her moose. Denny's fur was nice and soft, not like a dog's or a cat's. It was thicker and harder. But Lonnie liked the feel of it when she ran her hand across Denny's back. She especially liked that space on his muzzle below his eyes. She gave him a good brushing every morning and fed him oats, just like a horse. She'd never had a horse, but she was pretty sure having a moose was almost the same. She kept Denny warm at night and put blankets on him and gave him water. When she was with Denny, she felt calmer and things didn't upset her as much. Lonnie found Denny one morning when she was out in the woods following rabbit prints in the snow. Lonnie didn't do any hunting. Chief wouldn't allow her to have a gun, but she liked looking at animal prints. She knew all kinds of animal print patterns, rabbits, foxes, elk, bears, moose, and of course, human prints. There were plenty of those that day, men going hunting. When they pulled the trigger, it made an awful boom, bang, pop, crack, thunder, jolt. It shook the snow off the trees, made all the animals skitter and tremble. She saw the men. She didn't recognize any of them, so they must have been tourists. They dragged Denny's mom out, leaving a line of red in the snow. It reminded her of when her mama's head got cracked and the blood poured out and made a line on the floorboards. Denny's mother was dead, just like Lonnie's mother. People were always talking behind her back. Also, I, I noticed it especially being read aloud, but um, all of Lonnie's chapters end full circle, which I think is always really interesting. She starts with a thought, and then it sort of ends with a, a reminder of where she began and I, I thought her character was so interesting too, just played such an important piece <laughs> in the puzzle and you just really felt for her the whole time. Thank you so much for reading that. Oh, thank you. So I wanted to ask you just a few questions about your work as an author. I know that you began as a screenwriter. You're still probably doing screenwriting <laughs> in addition to your work as a novelist. How did you find that your work as a screenwriter inspired or affected your work as a novelist? I think, um, so I always wanted to write a novel um, in the beginning since I was a kid, but I didn't have the discipline to actually finish. And I think screenplays gave me the discipline. It was much um, easier to finish a screenplay but because it was shorter, but there were tools that I learned in the process um, on how to outline and how to do um, character arcs and you know, what a three-act structure looks like. So those kind of tools, um, those really helped me in uh, actually being able to finish a novel and to structure the novel in a way that you know, that it, it was comprehensive and it hit sort of the the notes that you would want to see, um, especially like if you would want to see it on screen. Yeah, I I really actually, I hope it's okay that I say this. I could tell from the book that you had 
been a screenwriter, everything felt so cinematic and visual. Like I just felt like everything that was happening, I could really see clearly in my mind. And I just felt like all of the chapters were really structured so that you wanted to keep reading. I thought it was really, really clever. I I really could um, just see your work as a screenwriter, just so prevalent in the novel. I thought it was really wonderful. Yeah. I mean, the idea um, originally came about because I was thinking of a series for streaming media like Netflix or Amazon. And so I had been outlining originally for, um, for, for that kind of media. So it does have sort of the, you know, the wait till the next episode, you know, (laughs) (laughs) leave the hanging kind of aspect of it. So yes. Wonderful. Um, I know that we are nearly out of time. So just before um, we say goodbye, I just want to ask you two final questions. Um, And I was first wondering, do you have any authors or as you are also a screenwriter, um, screenwriters who have inspired you? Oh, there are so many that I can <laughs> list them all. But um, obviously for this book, there's the David Lynch aspect of it, if we're talking about screenwriting. But one of my favorite authors was actually a teacher of mine um, m- many, many years ago. But her name is Alice McDermott. And um, she, uh, the book that I keep going back to is called That Night, which I think they did try to make in or they did make, they, they made a movie version of the book, but um, just the way that she crafts sentences um, and how poetic it sounds. I always go back and I look at her. um, I look at pages of her book just for inspiration in the way that she crafts her words and her sentences and, Mm -hmm. you know, how beautiful it sounds. So um, yes, she's definitely an inspiration, not only because she taught me, but of course, because of her writing. Amazing. Amazing. Sanchi was also one of your teachers. Is she going to get a nice copy of your book? (laughs) No, it was so long ago that um, I actually went to a reading maybe like six or seven years ago and she didn't remember me. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. But I'm I mean, so I'm sorry. In, yeah, I'm still, but I'm still in awe of her. Um, and I had another writing teacher, unfortunately, who passed away, but she was also an inspiration because she also, she came from the screenwriting world, but she also was a producer and she was one of my favorite screenwriting teachers. But then she, in her later life, switched to writing mystery novels. She was writing like cozy mystery novels. So that was, oh, I'm sure, an inspiration as well. <laughs> Yeah, and I would certainly have given her a copy if she hadn't (laughs) passed away, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Iris, final question for you, and I hope it isn't too difficult, but what is your all-time favorite book? That is always really difficult (laughs) because (laughs) there's so many great books there. So I'm only going to say like, you know, within the last 10 years, my favorite book was... um, all the light we cannot see by Anthony Doerr. And again, it's just the way he writes is so inspirational and so beautiful. And, you know, something um, 
you know, I, I don't feel like I have in me, but it's something that I aspire, you know, I would love to aspire to. But, you know, my genre, of course, is mystery, which is very different from um, the genre that he writes. But I just, you know, love the way he writes. Oh, my gosh. I loved that book. I, it felt like lyrical. And I'm so excited for the movie adaptation. I, I loved yes. that book. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. <laughs> Iris. So before we totally let you go, I am wondering where can people find you on social media? And do you have a favorite independent bookshop where people can purchase your book? Yes. Okay. Um, my I have a website, which is my name, I-R-I-S. Yamashita is Y-A-M-A-S-H-I-T-A dot com. And uh, I have a Facebook with the same spelling slash author or no, I mean, not slash. It's just one word. I think Iris Yamashita author. And then my Instagram is also the same spelling. Um, and my favorite uh, independent bookstore, which is where I had my uh, my uh, publication day release uh, is at Romans in Pasadena. And um, I love that bookstore. I go there uh, once in a while to actually um, sit in on readings, you know, with author events there. And um, they've been around for a long time. And um, they, I, I found out some history about them as well uh, um, during World War II when a lot of uh, Japanese Americans were interned in internment camps. Then Romans, this bookstore was... Um, very helpful. Like they would bring books over to the internment camps and things. So, you know, I love this bookstore. That is amazing. Um, if you guys are per interested in purchasing City Under One Roof, which I highly recommend, I am going to link the Romans bookstore. Additionally, if you are wanting more from Iris and following her journey as a writer, I will link her social media and her website in our episode description below. Iris, thank you so much for joining us. And we are already excited for the next book. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. And if you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. I am off to do my newest video for our Patreon. I am now doing a series where I will be talking about all the books that I am currently reading every single month, as I no longer have an Instagram to post about them. <laughs> um, and if you are interested in joining our Novel Finds community on the Patreon, please follow the link in our bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thank you so much for being a novel friend. We will see you all next week.